Many of you are aware that we have a Wednesday afternoon Bible study that meets here at the church. Steve leads it. They're going through the book of Romans. Uh, it's typically really well attended, but if that sounds uh, like something you'd like to also be a part of, I know for sure that they would have a place for you there uh, to, to be part of that. On Wednesday afternoons, if I'm not too far behind on my sermon prep, one of the things that I really like to do is to join them for the beginning of their time together. <laughs> um, it's fun just to visit with them, uh, to listen to stories, uh, and they get to, to spend some time praying together, uh, both for people there, you know, that are there in the Bible study, but also for the church and for the community at large. Now, that Bible study is mostly, but not exclusively, seniors. And that's actually one of the things that makes it really special. Because in that room, there is so much collective wisdom. And we would do really well to listen to them. Now, this may not be the first group that you would want to go to if you had a question about your iPhone or about the latest social media app. <laughs> but if you wanted some credible insight into how to live well, helpful perspective on mistakes that are easily made but can also be avoided, if you want understanding about what things in life are really important, and what are the things that, quite frankly, just don't matter so much? They are very much the people that we should be listening to, because in that room, there is so much collective wisdom, wisdom that has been earned through many years of life and of experience, and we would do really well to listen to them. Now, Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, had a similar relationship to the rest of the Israelites. See, he was considerably older than almost everybody else that lived in that nation. See, he was one of only two adults who survived the 40 years of living in the wilderness or wandering in the wilderness before they emptied the land and entered into the land of Canaan. If you're familiar with the story, then you know that between when the Israelites were rescued from Egypt and 40 years later when they finally entered, entered into the land of Canaan, this land that God had promised to them, all of the original adult population died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. God preserved only Joshua and Caleb of that entire group of all those adults because they alone continued to trust that God was actually going to fulfill the promise that he had made to them to give them this land. And so now as we get to the very end or getting close to the very end of our series from the book of Joshua, we are going to hear Joshua pass on wisdom that he has gained from his many years of life and experience, wisdom that is still of value to us today. And so this morning, we are going to hear Joshua share with the Israelites what he believes to be the secret to living well and successfully in the promised land. We're going to hear him identify what, what he sees as the biggest obstacle 
to this happening. And we're going to consider what, or we're going to consider how his words of wisdom for the Israelites are still very much words of wisdom for us today. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your smartphone or tablet, um, grab one of those red Bibles in the row in front of you there. And if you're using one of our red Bibles, we're going to be starting on page 365, Joshua 23. Now, at this point, in the book of Joshua, um, the conquest of the promised land is basically complete. The Canaanites' greatest strongholds, their largest armies, their most powerful kings, they have all been conquered. The land has already been divided and allotted to the various tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Israelite army, it's been disbanded and sent home. We saw that last week. There's still work to do in order for the Israelites to fully take over the land. But the settlement phase of the land is very clearly underway. But then at some point later on, we don't know exactly how much later on, but significantly later on, Joshua is going to call the people together once again. Because at this point, he is growing old. And he knows that he will not always be the one who will lead the nation of Israel. Look at verse 1, Joshua 23. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. So knowing that his days are numbered, Joshua has a particular message that he wants to communicate to these people that he's given his life to leading, a final bit of instruction that he wants to make sure that they hear and then remember, a kernel of wisdom that contains the secret to living well and successfully in this land that God has given to them. And we're going to see that the message is this. The only way to live well and successfully in the promised land is by remaining steadfastly loyal to Yahweh. But before Joshua gets to this most important point, Joshua is going to begin by reminding the Israelites of how faithful God has been to them this far. Look at verse 3. This is Joshua speaking to the assembled Israelites. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done, to you, has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the lands of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. So Joshua has them recall all the good things that God had already done for them. He wants them to remember how God had stopped the Jordan River so that they could all safely cross. How God had brought down the walls of Jericho even though all they had to do was march around it and shout. 
how God had supernaturally intervened during the campaign against the southern kings, and then how he gave them the great victory over the larger, more professional and advanced army from the north. Victories that Israel was able to win, that Israel did win, because Yahweh, because God had fought for them. Joshua wants them to remember how God, or how the land had been divided and distributed to them. The fulfillment of one of God's great promises that he had made to their ancestor Abraham. Joshua reminds them that God had promised to help them continue to defeat and to drive out the Canaanites who still remained in the land. Joshua simply wants them to remember all that they have seen and experienced God do in their lives thus far. You know, it's always good for us to to similarly be very intentional about remembering the good things that God has done in the past. That's because sometimes we can be really forgetful, especially when we are in the middle of difficult or trying circumstances in our own lives. And it's in those moments in particular that it is really important that we remember, that we remind each other of all the good that God has done for us in the past, perhaps through the sharing of a testimony or retelling a story of God's provision or of a time when God rescued you, instances of God's goodness and faithfulness to us and to others. The retelling of those stories is so important. But for Joshua, what Joshua is doing here, this remembering actually serves another larger purpose. This remembering is intended to be laying a foundation for what it, what, what it is that he wants to tell them next. And that is to tell them the secret to living well and successfully in the promised land. Here it is. It starts in verse 6. Again, Joshua is speaking to the people. He says to them, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold steadfast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routs a thousand, because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. And so here is the hard-earned wisdom that Joshua now wants to pass on to these people. The secret to living well and successfully in the promised land is found in remaining steadfastly loyal to Yahweh, to their God. Now, to be steadfastly loyal to Yahweh, they need to be strong, and they need to obey all the commands and the instructions that they receive from Moses. They can't ally or tie themselves to any of the Canaanite people who remain because ultimately this will end up dividing their loyalty and will lead them then to worshiping the Canaanite gods. Now, in some sense, what Joshua says here is not, it's just, it's not terribly profound or surprising. What he says here is instruction that's also found in the law of Moses, of course. But see, in Joshua's case, this represents something more. 
This is actually a distillation of everything that his life experience has taught him. If you think back to when we began our series in the book of Joshua, when Joshua was much younger and God had just appointed him as the new leader of Israel after Moses has died, here is what God said to Joshua. It's found in Joshua 1. God says to Joshua, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. What I just read to you, that should sound familiar, because it's fundamentally the same message that here in Joshua 23, Joshua is now giving to the people. Joshua's version in Joshua 23 is a a bit abbreviated, but all the elements are the same. In all fairness, what we have in Joshua 23 is probably just a brief summary of all that Joshua said to them on that day. But I think the point is well made. See, God had said to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. And here in the text, Joshua says to the people, be very strong. God had said to Joshua back at the beginning of his leadership, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. And here at the end of his leadership, Joshua is saying now to the people, be very careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. It's the same message. And Joshua is repeating it. Because his life experience tells him that it works. God had told Joshua that he would be prosperous and successful if he was strong and courageous. And he knew and he obeyed the scriptures that Moses had given to them. And this is exactly what Joshua did as Israel's leader. And it worked. Joshua lived and led well and successfully in the promised land. That's what we see in the book of Joshua. Now, that didn't mean that everything was easy, because it wasn't. It didn't mean that there weren't ups and downs for Joshua. There certainly were. But the arc of Joshua's life and the testimony that it then produced is that the secret to living well and successfully in the promised land is found in remaining steadfastly loyal to Yahweh. And that is wisdom that still remains true for us today. Not so that we can live successfully in the promised land, but so that we can live well and successfully in the Pacific Northwest in the 21st century. The secret to you and me living well and successfully in our beautiful but broken world today is found in us remaining steadfastly loyal to Yahweh, just as Joshua was. Having said that, I do want to be clear that well 
living well and successful is not the same thing as being healthy and wealthy. And while those are things that we certainly do desire and sometimes they can be blessings from God, they are not the absolute standards that the Bible uses to measure the success of a life in our world today. To see that this is true, we need only look at the man who, who is our perfect example of living well and successfully, and that is Jesus, whose life included poverty and suffering, yet his is the life lived most well and most successfully. text also reminds us that for us to remain steadfastly loyal to Yahweh so that we can then live well and successfully, we need to know the Scriptures. We need the Scriptures. We need to know the Scriptures because it is Scripture. It is the Bible that most clearly reveals to us what God is actually like and what He expects of us. You know, we live in a society that, that is very spiritual in many, many different ways. We live in a society that has many very different ideas about God and about what he or she or it should and is like. But it is scripture. These words and these texts that God has given to his people and now preserved for us that reveal to us what he is really like, what he is actually doing in our world. This great big grand story that we heard about in the children's message this morning it is scripture that, that explains for us how our world can be simultaneously, can simultaneously be both so profoundly beautiful and profoundly broken. And see, without the scriptures, we would only be guessing and ultimately making up the answers to those questions. And so we need these scripture texts. And we need to be continually consuming these texts, learning them, reading them, studying them individually and together because we cannot be loyal to the one that we do not know and we cannot be shaped by texts that we do not read and consume ourselves. Joshua's secret to living well and successfully in the promised land is clear enough, but he's actually not done yet. He still has more wisdom to share with the Israelites as well as with us. And so even as he calls the Israelites to remain steadfastly loyal to Yahweh, he also takes a moment to identify the greatest threat to them living well and successfully in the promised land. And that threat is compromise. Joshua says to the people, look at verse 12. But if any of you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes. Isn't that a horrible image? Thorns in your eyes? Anyway, awful. Until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. There are many ways that the Israelites could compromise in their loyalty to Yahweh. Joshua lists several here. He talks about allying themselves with the Canaanites who remain in the land, intermarrying with them, and even associating with them. Uh, that word associating, it's kind of a vague and, and uh, really broad term. Uh, maybe a better way to translate what's being communicated there might be inappropriately mingling with the Canaanites. 
Joshua tells them that alliances like this will inevitably result in suffering and loss for them. I do want to be clear. It's it's really important that we understand that what Joshua is saying here, especially in, in regard to this intermarrying, this is not at all about racial purity. This is about worship and about deepest loyalties. If you look back to verse 7, we see that what fundamentally distinguishes Israel from the other Canaanites is who they worship. The Israelites worship Yahweh. This is the name of the, the personal name of the God who's revealed to us in the Bible. But the Canaanites, they have their own whole variety of Canaanite gods that they worship. And therein lies the problem with intermarrying and inappropriately mingling with them. Such alliances will inevitably lead to divided loyalties and to compromise. And that doesn't work. Because not only is Yahweh the one true God, but Yahweh also has very particular ways that he wants his people to both live and to, re- and to represent him in this world that they live in. And these are ways that are very different than the values, practices, and priorities that were set by the Canaanites and by the Canaanite gods. Now, Today, we're not, we don't think about Canaanite gods. We're not surrounded by Canaanite gods like the Israelites were. But, this, but the opportunity and the temptation to compromise is, is certainly just as real for us today as it was for the Israelites back then. I mean, our world is, is full of competing ideologies and ideas about who we are at our most fundamental level, about what is truly right or wrong, about what is the best way to live in this world. And the God who's revealed to us in the Bible, the same one that Joshua calls the Israelites to remain steadfastly loyal to, This same God continues to call on his specially chosen people to live in very specific ways here in this world. If no longer according to the law of Moses, as in Joshua's day, but now to the new and better way of Jesus that's been revealed to us. You know, I think as we think about our own loyalty to Yahweh today, it's probably worth taking a moment at least to, to consider what makes compromise such a powerful temptation for us. I mean, there are probably many reasons why we're tempted to compromise, but I, but I think if there are three in particular, they would be fear, expediency, and arrogance. You know, fear tempts us to compromise our loyalty to Yahweh because we're afraid of rejection or scorn, or even suffering. In those moments, this text says to us, be very strong, be courageous. Expediency tempts us to compromise because compromise is oftentimes the easiest thing to do in the moment. We're so tempted to choose the easy thing rather than the right thing. We accept the simple compromise rather than the more complicated path that God often calls us to. And then arrogance. Arrogant tempts us, arrogance tempts us to compromise because so often we're tempted to believe, to decide that, that actually we know better than God 
how best to live in this world, which was actually the first sin and continues to lie at the heart of every sin. It is always going to be tempting to follow Jesus in only certain ways or on certain days. In only certain parts of our lives or only in certain company. Or only when the world's values just happen to already align with Jesus' values. But that is not what it looks like to be steadfastly loyal to Yahweh. And it is not what will lead us to live well and successfully in our world today. Joshua wraps up his message to the Israelites here by giving them yet another reason to remain steadfastly loyal to Yahweh. And the reason is this. Yahweh, God, always keeps his promises. And that can be really good news. Or it can be bad news. Look at the text, verse 14. Joshua speaking. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has, you know that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened unless the Lord your God, until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land that he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land that he has given you. Joshua reminds them that the Yahweh, their God, is a promise-keeping God. God has kept all of his promises to them thus far. He's rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. He sustained them through the wilderness. He enabled them to conquer and to settle this promised land. And to the extent that they remain faithful to him, God has promised to enable them to fully inhabit the land and drive out the remaining Canaanites. See, this is not the only thing that Yahweh has promised them. Yahweh has also promised that if they do not remain loyal, if they compromise by allying themselves with people who will lead them to worship other gods and to live according to other values, practices, and priorities, then he will bring judgment against them. He promises that they will be defeated, that they will die, that they will eventually even lose this land that's been promised to them. And not because Yahweh has failed them, but because they have failed Yahweh. Yahweh, the God revealed to us in the scriptures, Yahweh is a promise-keeping God. And depending on how steadfastly loyal we remain to him, that is either good news or it's bad news. Now, if you're sitting here this morning 
What if you're sitting here this morning listening to this wisdom from Joshua that's also God's words for us today? And you are painfully aware that you have totally messed this up. That you've violated the covenant of the Lord your God and all that he's commanded you. And now you sit there fearful that the Lord's anger has got to be burning against you. Like this text says. Do you know that you have been less than steadfastly loyal to Yahweh? You are well aware of times and situations when you've been prone to compromise and disobedience to the way that God has called his people to live. Times when fear has led you to compromise, when, expe- when you've chosen expediency, you've chosen the easy way over the right way. Situations in which you've decided that, that in fact you do know better than God how to best live in this world. What then is there for you to do now? The one and best thing that you can do is not look to Joshua or to Moses for help, but to the one who is greater that they point us to. The one that they are ultimately pointing us to. And that is to Jesus, the Son of God who became one of us. See, Jesus came in order to show us how to truly live, to model for us what it looks like to live a life in this world that is truly steadfastly loyal and obedient to Yahweh in all things and at all times. Jesus came in order to be our example that we can and should follow. But see, Jesus didn't just come in order to live the kind of life that we were supposed to live. Jesus also came in order to die the kind of death that we deserve. In order to die for all the times that we violated the covenant of the Lord our God. And that we failed to do all these things that he's commanded us to do. And the scriptures tell us that in his death, Jesus fully satisfied the Lord's anger that would otherwise burn against us. And so look to Jesus and acknowledge to him all of your compromise and all of your failure. Believe that that he has succeeded where you, where all of us have failed. And commit to following him as your true rescuer king. Because if and when you do this, then his faithfulness gets applied to you. And all of your failures get applied to him. And so do you want to live well and successfully in this world? both now and in the life to come. There is, there is truly only one way that we can do this. And it is found in the wisdom of Joshua as well as at the very heart of the gospel. And it is this. It is found in a pledge of steadfast love and loyalty to Jesus. 
to Yahweh who became one of us. This is the secret to living a successful life. We're going to talk next week in our last message in this series about the importance of of making that specific decision. Um, But if you want to know more about that today, um, or if you have any questions about anything that I've I've brought out of the text for us this morning, um, I'll be available after the service and would be happy to talk to you more. But right now, as the worship team comes up for a closing song, let me pray for us. Holy Father, we bow before you as the creator and sustainer of all things. We know that you created a world of order and beauty and unbelievable potential. We know from the scriptures that you made us co-regents of this creation with you. But we also know that we did not remain loyal to you. The first of us believed that we knew better than you how best to live in this world. And in that rebellion, we broke this world and everything in it. And so we thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our true rescuer, king, despite our disloyalty and compromise. Jesus, we thank you for becoming one of us so that you could show us how we are supposed to live and then dine in our place for all the ways and times in which we haven't. We bow before you as the one who lived and died and rose again, the one who makes a way for our future resurrection as well. Holy Spirit, Please continue your good work in us, exposing disloyalty, transforming our allegiances, deepening our love and devotion to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, transforming our hearts and our minds and our hands, that we would become steadfastly loyal to you as agents of grace and gospel in all the places that you have dispersed us into the world today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.